Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Father Trevor. Well, one of the questions we ask kids uh, in our society when they're little is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you remember being asked that as a kid or asking that of kids? So I thought, I would love to hear what you wanted to be when you grew up. So why don't we take a minute and just turn to someone next to you or nearby and, and answer the question, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a fill in the blank. All right, so go ahead, take a minute and do that now. I heard pilots and architects and doctors. Is anyone doing what they thought they would want to be doing? Anyone? No? Um, when my daughter, Nora, who's seven now, when she was in preschool, she, so she would have been three or four, um, they did this question with the class, and we got like a, a sheet of paper that had a list of all the kids in the class names with the thing they wanted to be, and it was like, you know, Timmy wants to be a doctor, and Sarah wants to be a pastor, and John wants to be a lawyer, and Nora wants to be a digger. That was what she put. I'm not sure what that meant exactly, but it was like, that's probably true. Um, so we'll see if that happens for her. Um, we have been studying the book of Hebrews together, and Hebrews teaches us that if we are a follower of Jesus, then we're actually citizens of heaven. And citizens of heaven all have the same job. If you're a citizen of heaven, we all have the same job. Now you can be a teacher, you can be a lawyer, you can be a doctor, you can be a digger, you can be whatever, but underneath all of those vocations, as a citizen of heaven, you have a vocation. You have a job. And it's as a priest. That the citizens of heaven are a kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of priests. So you can be a teacher priest. You can be a lawyer priest. You can be a soccer coach priest. You can be a mom priest and a dad priest. You can be a nurse priest, an employment specialist priest, a financial investor priest, a musician priest. But at the core of who you are, if you are a citizen of heaven, you are a priest. One of the ways we can study the Bible is that when we read a passage, we can ask the question, what does it say? What does it say about who God is? What does it say about who we are? So as you're studying the Bible during the week, that's a great question to begin with. What does it say? What we're going to see this morning is that the Bible says that Jesus is our high priest and that we are a kingdom of priests. And then the next question to ask of Scripture is, how do I obey what it says? And we obey by living a life of priestly ministry. So those are our three points this this morning. Jesus is our high priest. We are a kingdom of priests. 
and we have a priestly ministry. So let's start with Jesus is our high priest. Would you turn with me in your Bibles if you're not there already to the book of Hebrews chapter four and five, which is what we read this morning. And it gives us, uh, the writer of Hebrews gives us a, a really simple definition of what a priest is in verse one of chapter five. Uh, the priest is the one appointed to act on behalf of people in relation to God. So the priest is, is one who connects people to God. Connecting people to God. And the way the priest did this in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, the people of Israel, is by overseeing sacrifices that were made. And these were most often, though not always, blood sacrifices, meaning animal sacrifices. And they were to pay for sins. They were to atone for a sin. They were to make a sin right. As sins are these things we, we do or we don't do when we stray from God's way and from his plan, when we don't obey him or when we do selfish things that hurt ourselves and hurt others or that contribute to injustice in our world. Sin is the broken and evil part of each of us and of our society. And for there to be justice... For those sins to be set right, something has to happen. It has to cost something. There has to be something to balance out that evil that had been done. If, if you're in a relationship with someone and you hurt that person, words are not always enough, are they? And so we bring flowers or a gift or actions to go with an apology because forgiveness takes more than easy words. It has to be tangible. Uh, Brené Brown is a popular uh, researcher, storyteller, and she's got some TED Talks about shame and forgiveness that are really popular. Um, she recently wrote about coming back to the church after years away from the church. And this is what she said when she finally got, quote, the whole Jesus thing, when it finally made sense to her. She said, people would want love to be unicorns and rainbows. So then you send Jesus and people say, oh, love is hard. Love is sacrifice. Love is trouble. Love is rebellious. As Leonard Cohen sings, love is not a victory march. It's a broken hallelujah. Love isn't hearts and bows. It is very controversial. In order for forgiveness to really happen, something has to die. Whether it's your expectations of a person or your idea about who you are, there has to be a death for forgiveness to happen. And in all these faith communities where forgiveness is easy and love is easy, there's not enough blood on the floor to make sense of that. And she's talking as a qualitative researcher who studies data and tries to find meaning. And she's saying in order for there to be forgiveness, there has to be a death of some sort. There has to be blood on the floor. And this idea of sacrifice, it can seem pretty foreign to our modern sensibilities. We should imagine it this way. 
Imagine that every hurt, every pain, every suffering, every sin is just a small bit of darkness. It's thick, it's tangible. And as history rolls and those sins start to pile up, it becomes a planet-sized orb of, of darkness. It starts to expand and fill the galaxies with every pain and every suffering and every bit of selfishness that has ever been. It's huge. What could be powerful enough to get rid of it? What could be big enough and good enough to set it right? Could anything we do be powerful enough to set right all of the sins of all of the generations? Is there something our generation could do to make up for the atrocities of the previous one or to even avoid them? What could be big enough? What could be powerful enough? What could be good enough? What sacrifice could bring forgiveness and redemption for that? Only the life of God sacrificed for us. The only thing powerful enough in the universe to set that right is Jesus giving himself as that sacrifice. It's the blood of Jesus on the floor that can defeat sin, that can defeat suffering. Hebrews 9 says, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood and goat of calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing for us eternal redemption. Jesus is the high priest who makes a sacrifice of himself. It is his own blood he gives, and that is the only thing powerful enough to set things right. Having Jesus as our high priest means, as Tim Keller, a pastor from New York, likes to say, that we are more sinful than we ever dared to believe. That sin is a bigger problem than we care to admit. It's something we can't fix. But that we are also more loved than we dared to hope. That the God of the universe would give himself for us as a sacrifice. Hebrews 5, 9 that we just read said that Jesus being made perfect became the source of our eternal salvation to all who obey him. Will you accept the sacrifice of Jesus, our high priest this morning? Will you confess your sin and receive his forgiveness? He has made a way through his life He is our high priest. That's what the Bible says about God this morning. And here's what it says about us. That when we accept Jesus as our high priest, he makes us into a people of priests. This pattern runs throughout all of Scripture. He sets apart the people of Israel to bless them so that through them they would be a blessing to the nations. He comes as the light of the world, and then he says to his followers, you are the lights of the world. He comes making disciples, and then he says to his followers, you are now the disciple makers. And he comes as our high priest, and he says to his people, you now 
are a kingdom of priests. Exodus 19.6 calls us a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. First Peter 2 picks up on that thing, theme and says, you are a spiritual house, household, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, proclaiming the gospel as exiles and foreigners here. And then Revelation begins by saying we're a kingdom of priests because God has loved us, freed us, and made us. And then here in Revelation 5, the people around the throne sing, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. It's talking about Jesus, the Lamb of God. By your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. Jesus' sacrifice for us as a high priest makes us into a kingdom of priests. We become people who connect other people to God through Jesus, the one who connected us to God. We who have tasted in heaven's healing, we have, who have entered into the kingdom of all things made new, we who have set foot in the heavenly city, bring that goodness of Jesus to our earthly city. It's not the work of Jesus only. It's not the work of leaders only. It's not the work of the super spiritual only. It is the work of every baptized believer to be a priest. Maybe that raises a question for you. Why in some traditions of the church is one person called a priest then? And that's a good question because I think it shows us another pattern in scripture of how we relate to the Lord. See, scripture clearly teaches us that Jesus is the only high priest. He's the only mediator between God and man. As 1 Timothy 2 says, he is the one who connects us to God. But in that same passage in 1 Timothy 2, Paul tells Timothy to intercede for others. That's a synonym of mediator. That because Jesus is a mediator, capital M, we get to be small m mediators that point people to Jesus, the mediator. And to help us do that, the Bible also clearly gives us leaders in the church. And the purpose of leaders, as Ephesians 4 tells us, is not to do all the priestly ministries, not to do all the work of ministry, but it's actually to equip every saint, everyone baptized into the kingdom of priests, to do the work of ministry, to be a priest. So we are all priests, but we have leaders who help us become priests to Jesus, our high priest. So what do we call those leaders? Well, the Bible has lots of words for those leaders. A deacon is one of them. A deacon is a word that means a servant. Overseer is another. Someone who pastors pastors. That's the word bishop in our language. Paul the Apostle tells us that we need fathers, spiritual moms and dads, who can teach us what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe the most popular title for a leader in the church, uh, pastor, which is translated from shepherd. Now, all of these titles, we don't use them to get in the way of Jesus's title because ultimately Jesus is the great high deacon, isn't he? He is the servant of all who washes our feet. And Jesus is the great overseer, the manager of the house. Jesus is ultimately the Father in heaven. And Jesus is the great high priest. 
See, see these, all of these point to who God is. And so in, in the church, we're given symbols. We're giving symbols of the work and the ministry of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in these leadership roles. So that each week as we see people serving, setting up this room, we say they're being a servant like Jesus is a servant. And as we see people welcoming in to their homes, into this house of the Lord, we say they're welcoming people into the family of God like, like the Father does. And as we see people who are shepherding others, we say they're shepherding like Jesus does. When we see people who are spiritually parenting others, we're saying they're, they're being fathers like Jesus, or like God is our father. See, it's symbols. It's literally something that helps us see through it to who God is. That's the definition of an icon. You see through it to a reality of who God is. But of course, the trouble is that all too easily icons become idols, where instead of seeing through them to who God is, they get in the way. And this happens with leaders in the church. But God gives us this tradition throughout Scripture of the priesthood. And then he comes in Jesus to fulfill, to fulfill that role and say all along it was pointing to what Jesus would do for us. And now he makes us into those priests to connect others with God. What does that priestly ministry look like? How do we obey this call of the Lord to be a kingdom of priests? I just have three simple brief points about this. And by the grace of God, they all start with the letter P. If you're a priest, then you have a parish. If you're a priest, then you have a flock, a family of people that you are responsible for, that you are to care for. Jesus talks about this in John 10. When he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Having a parish means knowing them and having them know you. I laid down my life for the sheep in sacrificing for those in your care, in your responsibility. Then it says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. It includes people who are far from God. So you have a parish, a a group of people that you are responsible for connecting to God, inviting into relationship with God. My father-in-law, Matt, loves to tell a story about this, and he told it if if any of you were part of Mission Aurora, the week of mission we did uh, earlier this summer. Uh, My brother-in-law, his son, is a goalie for North Park. We just watched his first game of the year last Thursday at uh, Aurora University. And I was conflicted between cheering for my brother-in-law on the other team or cheering for Aurora, the hometown team. Um, I won't tell you who I cheered for, but North Park won. And in soccer, there's this box on the field around the goal, and it's actually called the penalty box. But if you're a goalie, you call it the goalie's box because that is your box. That is your area. You are responsible for it. It's like in basketball when the, 
the center, Dikembe Mutombo, used to block someone's shot and then say, not in my house. Like, that's his house, and you're not going to come in there and score on him, right? That's how a goalie feels. They have a zone that they're responsible for. And that's how we are as Christians, as priests in the kingdom of God. God brings into our life a zone, people that we can connect to God, that are our responsibility. Who is in your parish? Who has God brought into your life so that you can be a priest and help connect them to Jesus, the great high priest? One of our uh, leaders here was telling me, he's a school teacher, and on one day a week he meets with other believers at his high school and they pray for the school. That is being a teacher-priest. That is saying this is our zone and our responsibility. This is our flock. Priests have a parish. Two, priests offer provision. Priests have a flock and they feed their flock. See, we connect people to God through, through Jesus. The church has nothing unique in the world to offer except for Jesus. There are lots of places where you can learn things and do good and serve others. And, and as a church, we want to do that. But we have a unique calling to connect people to God. And that is only through Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. That is all we have to offer. And Jesus says in John 6, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. When we offer them, when we offer people in our parish, in our responsibility, Jesus, we offer them the bread of life. We offer them everything their hearts truly need. We do that by inviting them into Jesus' body, the church. We do that by bringing them to our tables and to the Lord's table. And we do that through the word of God. In Hebrews 4, the writer just finished saying, the word of God is living and active. It's like a, a two-edged sword that can divide things. It knows our intents. It knows our soul. It knows our heart. It can bring the healing we, we all need. We give people the word of God as priests in the kingdom of God. There is nothing more important. There's nothing that they need more. I was talking to um, one of our team members here at City of Light, and he was telling me that a couple years ago, he started mentoring a high school student through one of the great nonprofits working in Aurora, through triple threat mentoring. And he started mentoring this high school student, and he asked the student, would you like to study the Bible together? And the student said, no, that's not really my thing. They said, okay. So they kept meeting weekly, and they talked, and they got to know each other. They built a friendship, and after this student graduated from high school, this person from City of Light said, would you, would you like to keep meeting? And they said, yes, that would be great. Well, what do you want our meetings to be? What do you want them to be about? And he said, will you teach me how to read the Word of God? Will you teach me the Bible? They built the relationship, and now he gets to offer him the words of life. So we do as priests, we offer people Jesus through his word. 
How are you inviting people in your life to meet Jesus? And especially those who are far from God, how are you inviting them into relationship? Those people who know the Lord that are in your zone, in your parish, how are you feeding them the word of God? There's nothing you can do for them that matters more. How are you teaching them to teach it to others? As priests in the kingdom of God, we have a parish and we offer provisions and we also offer prayer. If being a priest is connecting people to God, then much of the time we're speaking to people on behalf of God. But we're also speaking to God on behalf of people. Jesus had this ministry of intercession. The writer of Hebrews alludes to it later in this chapter that we read. In the days of his, his uh, flesh, his life on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. And the writer might be particularly talking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane at that moment. But he's also talking about the whole scope of Jesus' life of intercession for us, of mediation for us. That Jesus came to his Father on behalf of us. And now Jesus has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the throne of God, where he continues to pray for us. And Hebrews 4 says, we read this this morning, Since we have that great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us with confidence draw near to him, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. That is a ministry of prayer in time of our need, sure, but in time of the need of those in our parish and those around us, that we go to the throne where Jesus is and we join in his intercession and his prayer for others. And we do it with confidence. We do it with the confidence of Jesus's high priesthood. When you pray for someone, do you pray with that confidence that you are a priest and you are joining with the high priestly ministry of Jesus? I mean, this is the core of our job description as priests. What if we walked around and said, my main job today is to pray for people? What would that lead us into? How would that reorient our heart and souls toward others? What kind of opportunities would that open up to invite others into the kingdom of priests? I was uh, around uh, Aurora downtown earlier this week, and I just came across this stranger, and the person needed some help. And I kind of looked around, and there wasn't anyone else around, and I thought, oh, I'm a priest. I, if, if I don't help this person, who will? Like, I have a responsibility here. There aren't any other believers around. I don't see anyone else around, and I can't solve all of his problems for him, but I could help with an immediate need, and then I could pray for him, because I was, I was the priest who was there. And when you go out into your lives, you are the priest who is there. Look around. Is there another citizen of heaven around? Oh, it's you. You are the one who can pray for people. You are the one who can bless them. You are the one who can offer them the words of eternal life. 
There isn't anyone else. It's you. And when we pray for people right there in that moment, the Holy Spirit is there. And he loves to bring the presence of Jesus. I want to grow bolder. I want to grow more confident in praying for people and knowing that the ministry of Jesus is there praying in and through me. As Christians, if you have been in the church for a while, we often like to tell each other, I'll be praying for you. What if we replace that phrase with, let me pray for you right now? Because we have a priestly ministry and that's what we do. We pray for people. I've been, I want to grow in my confidence of praying for people who don't know the Lord. All throughout Acts, all throughout the Bible, when, when you pray for people who are far from God, God shows up. His presence is there. We can actually invite them, if they're willing, into the presence of God. And you know what? Most people don't refuse if you say, hey, can I pray a short prayer for you? Can I give you just a short blessing? Can I just put my hand on your shoulder and ask the Lord to bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you, to give you peace, that you would know that he loves you and he's present with you? I, I have only had one person ever refuse me. Most people say yes. And then you get the chance to connect someone to God, to usher them into a heavenly city where you're a citizen, where you're a priest. I want to close with this. The priestly ministry throughout the people of Israel and throughout most cultures was a hereditary ministry. Just like a royal family where it gets passed on through being born into that family, you, were passed, uh, you became a priest by being born into a family of priests. In Jesus, you were born again into the priesthood of God. In Jesus, you are adopted into a family of priests and you become a priest. That's what's happening at your baptism. You know, this church, one of the first things we did together was uh, at our sending church, Church of the Resurrection, we had a commissioning service where we as a people were sent out as priests. And we also had an ordination service where I was ordained as a priest to a priestly ministry here. Every believer's baptism Every baptism into the family of God is an ordination into the priesthood of heaven. If you have been baptized and want to follow Jesus, follow him into his priestly ministry, connecting people to God through Jesus, our great high priest. In Jesus, we know that we are more sinful than we could have imagined, but we're more loved than we could dare to believe. We're also more dependent on him than we could ever imagine. We're weaker than we could ever imagine. But in him and his priestly ministry, we're more po powerful than we could possibly believe. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.